Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Ricky, you are on the air. Hey, I have a little trivia question to start for you guys. So if you count the play-in game, who is the most recent MVP that is not in this year's playoffs or has not been? Most recent MVP is not in this year's playoffs. Kobe Bryant? You got it. You got it. Back in 2008. It's kind of wild to think that with D. Rose in there and LeBron still being at the peak for this long. Well, and I think what's that far. Ricky, I think what's so impressive about that also is how important most of those players are to their teams. Like this isn't just, oh, there are a lot of them are hanging on and just around like Derrick Rose is one of the most important players on the Knicks right now. He's been their best best player. Derrick Rose has been the Knicks best player in the playoffs. That's how amazing is that to think about? It's so wild. I mean, they've all, I think, been the best player. Well, I guess Russ and Beal, that's debatable. And then obviously, uh, Whichever of Harden and KD you pick, um, <laughs> you definitely pick KD, I guess, on the Nets. But um, yeah, it's wild. Um, and speaking of the Nets, I have a question from for you guys, like as basketball fans, as fans of stories and narratives, how do you feel about having two MVPs on the same team? Like, I, I don't have a problem with player empowerment or anything like that. But from a narrative standpoint, I would love to know if Harden or KD could win a championship without another MVP on their team. And I feel like I'm never going to get the answer to that question. And it kind of bums me out. Well, um, well, so I, 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 was, I would argue that we've gotten the, the answer to that on Harden. I, I think, I think he has had enough chances to perform incredibly well in the playoffs and not been able to deliver. And it, that's not simply just based on, Oh yeah, he's, he hasn't won it, therefore he can't win it. It's more based on the fact that in many of those cases, like him underperforming what you would have hoped for was a big reason why his teams failed. And so I think at that point, there just there isn't the evidence that he's capable of playing at the level in the playoffs to lead a team to a championship. I mean, unless me, if you had some unbelievable supporting cast around him, which we kind of do this year, uh, but... Yeah, so, so, but, and KD, uh, no, I, I mean, I would say that I, I feel comfortable about that with him. I think some of those OKC teams, they just got unlucky, and also that they were just built so poorly around him offensively that I, I feel like KD to me has proven that he could play at that level, even if he didn't technically win one without another MVP at his side. He, he has shown that he can be that good. Uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's kind of my thought on it. What do you think, Danny? I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I mean, I, I want to acknowledge, you know, how close the Rockets got. That was that 17 that they 18, got, that 18. they got close, 18, 18 that they got closest. And so like Harden, I think he could have been the best player on a title team then, but 
and, and I mean that Warriors team that they lost to was was very good, even though they um and and the Rockets had some injuries too. So like they could have, but I, yeah, I, I'm I think the the window is pretty much closed on that. Like I'm not as interested in this iteration of KD being the best player in the title team as I was the one who left Oklahoma City in 2016. But it would still be fun. But at the same point, like I think I'll, I'll go the other way with Ricky is that I love. And the Nets are such an amazing example of this. I love some of the questions that this Nets team is going to go after, which is basically like, how much offense can you really handle these talented isolation players? Like it there, this team is giving us answers to questions that I'm more interested in than whether this Durant and this Harden could win titles by themselves. Wholeheartedly agree. Those are awesome. Awesome responses. Yeah. And I, I agree with you guys on Harden. I am sad that, I feel like I'm never going to get to see, I would like to see if KD could win it with just like a second banana, uh, just as, you know, I think he has the talent to for sure. Um, but I feel like I'm never going to be able to see that without there being this a super team context around him. But th- hey, there's a lot of other good things to watch. And I'm definitely looking forward to the next round as it looks like it's shaping up with the Bucks. Yeah. So thanks for taking my questions. Appreciate it. Well, well oh, the, thank you for the, uh, the other thing I'll ahead. add on KD too is, and he really only had two chances to win it in OKC and one time they were going up against a 73 win team that also uh, and also had like a pretty flawed supporting cast around him in 2016 and 2014 again pretty flawed supporting cast Serge Ibaka gets hurt doesn't play uh, uh, against the Spurs at his usual level missed I think the first two games in that series that Spurs team was also an all-time team as well and you know he was what 22 in uh 22 23 in the 2012 finals when he actually played quite well offensively by the way in those finals Uh, and just you know he wasn't strong enough to guard that version of lebron james and that heat team also was obviously really really good at that point in time so if you just threw that okc team or at least it's top end talent into say today when maybe there isn't that great team that's out there although bucks and nets might make us feel differently uh, about it you know those teams couldn't win right i mean they the 2016 was just such an incredibly loaded year at the top and they beat like an unbelievable spurs team before they even got to the warriors that year so i i think they there wasn't there weren't really that many chances like 2013 russell wasn't there 2015 he didn't play so that you know if they had been healthy those two years and also not won it then i think it would have felt a little bit different but you're really only talking about a two-year uh time frame against some absolutely loaded all-time teams that i don't consider it a failure to have lost to particularly when you consider i mean i consider it more honestly of a uh a gm failure that those thunder team lost whether it was trading harden whether it was resigning perkins whether it was trading for kyle singler whether it was trading first round picks for dion and ennis Cantor, and then you know having to play andre robertson all the time who just didn't need to get guarded and you know i mean you saw just how incredibly devastating kd was in the playoffs like any kind of spacing around him uh, after that and now he's of course these last few times he's had like unbelievable spacing so i i think that's i don't consider those to be huge kd failures even if he himself could have played a little better it was a very difficult situation for him so sorry to go for so long on that one but i was uh those kind of especially like those near-term history questions uh always kind of uh get me going so good, good question there thank you uh- We'll do a little a little news update. Dave McMenamin of ESPN just reported that KCP is expected to return to the lineup tonight in Phoenix, so that 
that game is at um, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. And having KCP back is going to help. That very notably does not include an update on Anthony Davis. I do not expect AD to play tonight. No, I don't. Um, and the Joel Embiid thing was interesting too. That happened earlier today as well with uh, the no information on what the injury was. They called it right knee soreness. Bodner thinks that he hurt himself when he got blocked by Robin Lopez and kind of came down and he played a, a few more minutes and then got taken out. So he's now doubtful for game five. I My guess on this, I think, is that it might be a bone bruise because they said, oh, he had an MRI. He's going to have like more testing done. He's doubtful, et cetera. That, and that, and that, that takes some time. I mean, yeah. you know, you know that injury better than I do, but that's, that's like, I mean, you can sometimes play for part of it, but not going to be right. No, I, I wouldn't think so. And, uh, you know, it would obviously be very, very useful for them to close out the Wizards without him, which they're capable of doing. Although, you know, I'll favor them in that game, but not by a ton, honestly, uh, particularly with Ben Simmons being uh, rather limited in uh, his offensive impetus with him beat out. But yeah, that. so I mean, it could be that. It could be a meniscus maybe like a mild knee sprain but i didn't really see you couldn't you never got a great look at how he came down but it looked like he kind of it was like he landed on it hard and that could maybe be more of kind of a meniscus bone bruise type of thing than that there was any kind of like the joint went in a direction that it's not supposed to go um but again i'm i'm just a doctor here on locker room i'm i'm not a not a, a doctor in real life let's go to pedro pedro you are on the air hello nate danny how you doing Good. So the Mavericks now have two years of the Porzingis experiment. And despite showing s s small flashes, I'd say he was unable to rise up to that second star potential that some of us fans expected. He hasn't been exceedingly valuable in many aspects in this series, but maybe spacing and his defense has been progressively worse. Not to mention he hasn't been hasn't played enough to be considered healthy. So if you were the Mavs GM, considering considering Lucas looming massive extension and therefore lack of flexibility, plus the fact he's been good enough for the franchise to want to win now, would you move Porzingis? Which teams do you, do you think would be interested in him? And what kind of package could Dallas get in return? Do you think he passes the NNA test? So it's, it's a big question and an important consideration for Donnie Nelson in this Mavericks front office is also where is Porzingis's value now relative to where it could be, let's say at the trade deadline or at another point. And I mean, he's missed, he's missed time. He did play better. I mean, Nate and I talked about that at the deadline, it was probably about as low as it's, as it's been because he had missed a bunch of time and hadn't looked good when he had played Porzingis after this year, he has two more fully guaranteed, two more, two more locked in years at about 32 per and then has a player option for 36 million after that that's i mean i think that's probably right i mean that might be a, i think that's negative it's negative value but depending on which porzingis we see like as as you mentioned he's missed time like that sort of thing and the other big limitation with porzingis is that he is not defensively versatile. I mean, like you have this way that the NBA is going, and that's not to say every team has to do it. I mean, we've seen some very successful teams play with drop coverages and numerous other things, but Porzingis is a tall dude, but he's also has pretty slow feet. And so there's a there are a lot of things that you could try to do that you can't really with him there. So I think they should consider it. I think they should chop him. I'm guessing the offers will be less inspiring. And remember that 
in many ways, the bet that you're making, because Dallas, unless they can really hit on their cap space this year, which I'm less optimistic than I was before, um, you know, before all the extensions were signed, you kind of have to get a number two in the Porzingis trade because otherwise, you're, or in free agency. So you could, I guess you could make that bet. And that's a really hard trade to make. So you're trading Kristaps Porzingis and you're getting somebody who makes sense on any timeline, whether it's the present timeline or a long-term one with Luca. I, I, I sure, if, if that trade comes across the table and there's somebody that you think could do it, by all means. But I don't know what that looks like. No, I... Getting back to just the assessment of what Porzingis is at, at this point in time, and Pedro noted that they've been—he hasn't been good defensively this year—and I think the hope is that maybe he could get back to being where he was in prior years. Like in prior years, he at least was that rim protector where he was able to move his feet. He was one of those guys. I said if there's a list of guys in the NBA that I would least want to try and score on as a perimeter player driving to the basket when he's in position protecting the rim. Porzingis was like right up there maybe even the guy if he was really like going vertical at the basket and that just hasn't been the case this year I don't know whether it's because he can't move at all this year or he can't jump or he's not willing to be as physical or it's the mentality or he's still trying to work back he hasn't been right physically but last year teams took 3.9 percent fewer of their shots at the rim when he was in the game that was 93rd percentile and basically since he has started playing they've always been much better uh his teams at preventing shots that when he's in there this year the the exact opposite teams actually shot more at the rim when he was in the game and we've seen that continue in this clipper series they are getting right to the rim and they are also finishing at a really accurate rate as well and Porzingis used to really depress opponent shooting percentage at the rim a ton also and now that's not the case as much anymore and they're much better defensively when he's off the floor and so even against more conventional teams he's not been able to stop anybody and we when we did the NBA cast Danny I thought it was very noticeable in that game four where he's just kind of standing around out by the perimeter like he's not making the effort to even make a first effort to get back and protect the rim much less than make another effort to get back out to a shooter and so the the defense to me is kind of the bigger probably because offense is fine you know it's been a little disappointing in this series but you know he was never going to be this like unbelievable post-up guy in the playoffs uh he just was not strong enough for that but it's the defense that's just uh, that was supposed to be the formula and he was also supposed to be this great threat who could either roll or pop out and you know going the clippers are a really tough matchup for him but hey there's a lot of la clippers out there in the playoffs when you're trying to win a championship so i i think this this season unless they know that he is just not healthy in the slightest it's starting to indicate to me that that is a failed bet but as danny alluded to where are you going to send him and what are you going to get back at this point in time i'm not really sure of what that is but maybe you just I mean, Dan, do you think that they need to, and actually Pedro would bring you in too if, if you're still there, but like, is it just a matter of, hey, this guy, we got to just get off of him just to improve the structure of our team so we can just be more versatile overall, even if we're not getting back, quote unquote, equal talent in return? Maybe uh, if there's a team that is in a lower step of the rebuild, like maybe the Kings or Charlotte, and maybe they're interested in getting a player of the posing is kind yeah that's an interesting thought of just uh like a team that's kind of trying to get into the playoffs right like i think porzingis the way he is now he's kind of a assuming he's healthy obviously but he's kind of a get you into the playoffs 
kind of guy um but i guess the the question there is what are you going to get back and is it just you're moving him into cap space you're just removing that obligation and th- and that's it danny would you consider it being I- even something of that low of a return i don't think i would just because porzingis does help the mavericks and maybe they could use a trade exception but i'm always i'm always skeptical of big trade exceptions really producing somebody who can move the needle for you long term yeah it's it's tough and and i mean the other kind of idea that you could think about is a team that is okay with Porzingis' lack of defensive versatility. I mean, in a different world, the San Antonio Spurs could possibly be a team like that, where it's like, okay, yeah, he can't do all these other things, or Portland to some extent, where it's like, he can't do these other things, but we don't care because we're not going to do those other things anyway. But the problem is Nurkic is pretty settled in Portland. I think yeah. that, I, and I don't. Nurkic that to me is better than Kristaps Porzingis. He's been, be- he's definitely been better in these playoffs. Yeah. But, um, like, do you have any idea what Nikola Jokic would be doing to Kristaps Porzingis guarding him one on one? Yeah, it would be. And and I mean, Jokic, you don't necessarily want to grade everybody by how they would defend Nikola Jokic because sure. he is he's anomalous. But yeah, I mean, and and San Antonio, Pirtle is. I would say Pirtle's not as good as Porzingis, but he's a lot cheaper and he makes sense with them. And the San Antonio, like, it's just like, do they want to throw a lot of their resources at that? Maybe. Like for them, it's the opportunity cost is a little bit different because they're not, you know, at that level right now. And for Charlotte, I, I, I like that Pedro brought up Charlotte as an option just because they need something at center and Porzingis is talented. But I would, like, intuitively, I'd rather have somebody who can run the four, but I guess you could have the other guys run the four next to LaMelo. Like, if you you probably need mobility at the one through the four then. Yeah, all right. So we, th- great question there, uh, Pedro. And hopefully Porzingis can be healthy. But, I mean, that obviously, that's, that's another aspect of just whether he's even going to be on the floor for you uh, or not. Oh, that's an interesting one from Xavier Santos asking about the Mavericks in the in discussion thread. Could Dallas, if Josh Richardson opts in, could they package him and Dwight Powell in a couple seconds for Al Horford? So the idea there for Oklahoma City would basically be you get out of, but see, the problem for them is you don't actually get out of that much guaranteed money because Dwight Powell is owed $11 million for 22-23 and Al Horford is owed 14-5. Granted, you'd have Dwight Powell under contract and you'd be cutting Al Horford for that money. Well, but- yeah, I, I guess the problem there, though, is just that Dallas would have to include something there, obviously, as well. And yeah, then Oklahoma they, City would and, do and it. And and they're not and they're not particularly asset rich um but and, and they could theoretically move josh richardson to a third team at some point to get value something oklahoma city has done a lot recently but it's an interesting idea i i think that there would probably be a conversation between presti and nelson on that front but i don't think it would come to fruition um i think they'd i think okc would be would be looking for more man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found he looked sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. 
and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas i'm going to be freezing but the american giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside and things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout Easy remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us but let's get to jonathan jonathan you were on the air jonathan you are muted on this app um i just want to say over the last year it's been fantastic being a prime subscriber it's been hectic and having you guys on a regular basis to uh, not necessarily maybe talk to but listen to and hear stuff has really helped keep me sane and it's been really enjoyable of a ride so i just want to thank you guys for pumping out as much content as you do well, well thanks and man that it, that means a lot it's, uh, it's really it's good to hear that we uh you know we're doing a basketball show but it's good good to hear we can have at least a little positive effect uh, on people's lives so, th- so thanks for telling us that well and i'll chip in that I, I can only speak for myself, but I think Nate would agree with this, that for me, once basketball started again, it gave me kind of a something a, a, something to grind on, something to focus on that wasn't everything else. And I thought it was it made it made my life a lot better too. And I thought and and you you know, it was especially those early bubble days were incredibly hectic where there are games all day and you're just like, I was kind of exhausted for two weeks, but I was happier with that form of exhaustion rather than everything else that we've been dealing with to that point. Yeah. So yeah. And yeah, go ahead, John. And it's just really hard to talk articulately about a single team or a, a single topic for an extended period of time and to do it for a whole league. It's, it's a lot harder than what people think as someone who has tried and failed multiple times uh, doing that on a even semi-professional level. So that, 
that that's also uh, impressive to say the least. Well, thanks, man. Uh, so, what can we do for you as far as uh, questions? So, <laughs> so a- a- after that long setup, I wanted to talk about a little bit of. Uh, I am a long-suffering Detroit Pistons fan. Oh boy! I came into the team, unfortunately, uh, the Brandon Knight years. As listening on the radio, I think I don't know, it, maybe 2007 when a state radio station first came to town. I didn't discover it was later on, but anyways, Josh Smith was been the highlight of my tenure so far and maybe Blake Griffin for a half season. Right now, it's looking very interesting that they finally picked a direction with the rebuild. They've got Jeremy Grant. Jeremy Grant was interesting that he said that having, you know, a, a black head coach, having a now black GM was a huge part of him coming to Detroit. Are there any other players you think that would be motivated uh, to, to seek out an organization like that in terms of maybe not necessarily Detroit, but it's a unique free agent thing where not necessarily it was just, you know, trying to win now, but it was a fit on kind of a philosophical level and a role level. Well, I, I think that the personality fit between a player and their coach, general manager, or both is important. And sometimes that explains some of the movement that has happened or player to player is the more one that's more commonly talked about, whether it's the, you know, Durant, Curry, Iguodala, all the chapel stuff from that team USA, or most famously LeBron, Bosch and Wade, but it can happen. And, and I think that the challenge in those circumstances and part of what, why it worked to an extent with Jeremy Grant is that it was a lot of different things pulling the same direction. Grant, I think he was excited about the opportunity of being a bigger fish in a smaller pond. And I think it worked out reasonably well for him as long as his goal was not team success, because I mean, that was, that wouldn't have been a reasonable thing for him to expect anyway. But I think having, having the, you know, if he, if he valued those things and put that in, then more power to him. And there, you know, I, I think there are times, and I mean, the, the mystique of Pat Riley was probably a part of what happened with Miami. And it's a good reminder that when a player chooses a situation, they're doing so on a variety of factors. Like, I mean, you could think about major market and all this stuff, but it could be like, I, I, I was talking with Kale Chouinard before Paul Millsap made his decision. And he talked about how Millsap spent a lot of time growing up in Denver. And that was something I didn't know. And then I was convinced he was going to sign with the Nuggets, which he did. Um, but there, there are a lot of factors in play, and it wouldn't stun me if fit with coach, fit with general manager, personality-wise, was one of them. So uh, my thought on this is I do the coach definitely matters much more than the executive or the owner. I mean, maybe the owner matters if you're like a LeBron James level of star where you are just like that large of a business entity on your own. Uh, but I think for most players you know a Jeremy Grant type of level of guy I think it mattered for him particularly just because Troy Weaver had that pre-existing relationship with him going back to Syracuse with his ties there and uh, obviously going back to OKC as well where Troy uh, I think was instrumental in trading for Jeremy in OKC and uh, paying him once there already also so I think maybe if there's that pre-existing relationship or you know again there's kind of a change in role which uh, was what Grant really wanted and it seemed like that worked out reasonably well for the the Pistons, although we'll see when they become a real team or whether Grant is kind of able to sustain this production. But, you know, if you look, for example, like Charlotte has had a black owner for the past 11 years, the most famous player ever. And you'd think if there's anybody at that level who could be like a great recruiter, it would be MJ. And for, well, I'm not going to say for whatever reason, that hasn't worked out because the Charlotte team just hasn't been good during that period. So I think maybe it could matter a little bit on the margins, particularly at a coaching level, if 
there's a relationship with Dwayne Casey and you hear good stuff about the coaching staff uh but as far as just getting like a major star to sign there and, and I know I'm not that you're implying that that would be the case but just for for the listeners I don't think that that would be something that would matter but you know perhaps in the case of one specific star who's extremely socially conscious and wants to reward organizations for being the same then maybe it could be the case I don't know of any players who I think would go to that type of a of a level with their career decisions but maybe that'll change we're in a different social environment so my th- overall thinking would be i don't think it's going to matter that much although i do uh, laud them for the efforts that they've made in diversity but uh i i don't think it's going to make an enormous difference uh in terms of the product that they put on the floor i don't think it's a huge difference maker especially with the issue with tom gores and uh the you know a prison firm that he's invested in for telecommunications and there's some interesting just different dynamics at play my my only hope is that like with detroit seems to have a solid base between sadiq bay isaiah stewart and maybe Cade, uh, Cade, if we get really lucky, and that maybe that'll at least set up for maybe a mid-level star. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm so just kind of beat down at this point. I'm just kind of hoping for a fourth seat at the best, and then we'll rebuild in another ten years. Yeah. Well, so the Pistons are the second seed in the lottery. Is that right, Danny? I think that's right. Yeah. Let me look at that. But uh, so yeah, I mean the worst pick that they can get would be six which would be the highest pistons pick since uh 2003 i believe pretty amazing that as bad as they've been with only the two playoff appearances and zero playoff wins that yeah isn't the highest they picked was seven right with killian hayes this last year i don't think they picked higher than that since uh since Giarco. yeah and that was after they really tried to shift gears and uh, a halfway through last season when they were like yeah we're gonna convince ourselves that blake griffin can can be something and we're gonna try it with derrick rose and uh the other Morris twin after having the previous one and so yeah they, they uh, joe dumars had a really uh great impact and then stan van gundy uh did his darndest to really you know get that uh just on the edge of the lottery uh picks yeah well joe uh joe may have lost fastball toward i, I think that's probably <laughs> that's probably fair to say i mean I, I think he earned his dismissal by by the end uh the, your your love for josh smith aside i think we might we might have to uh oh no 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 jo- no i don't have any love for him it's just more of, <laughs> that was the biggest free agent signing i mean though it's also the same team where we're like yes ben gordon charlie villanueva those are the saviors no it's josh smith Oh, uh, a uh, uh, Brandon Jennings sign and trade. Though I will say that Brandon Jennings right before he tore his Achilles was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, no, that was a real bummer actually, and he never really was able to get back to even being you know a rotation player of any note after that. Well, thanks, thanks for that, Jonathan. Thanks for the kind words, and uh, yeah, I guess we're we're spending like ten minutes on each question so far here, so we'll try and speed things up a little bit here the the second half of this. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Nick, you are on the air. Hey guys, um, so I just had a quick question. Uh, after coming off of a slightly disappointing playoffs, uh, to say the least, it was reported in the Miami Herald that uh, Jimmy Butler would be seeking a, a four-year, $181 million extension. And my question is, um, how bad of a contract would that be? I know it would be bad, but A, how bad would it be? And B, as a player who's known for, I guess, uh, butting heads with management in his fa- past few stops, how worried would you be about potentially alienating uh, Jimmy Butler if you're if you're Pat Riley? Butler has um, one year left on his contract, then he's as a player option, so presumably it would it, it would replace that. And Jimmy turns 32 before the start of next year, so we're talking about contract that would run 33 through 36. 
that's basketball reference ages. He's, you know, he's in the all NBA discussion right now. I think Nate, you and I both had him, I think, make it make a team this year, despite shooting 25% on threes. That's a a statement of how, how useful he was in the regular season defensively and the role he has within Miami's offense. I still think that it wouldn't work out too well. Um, you know, and, and Miami is Miami. You could argue, you know, Hey, like they're, you know, they have this team and they're depending on what contracts Duncan Robinson gets and what they do in 2021 free agency or with that cap space or what, you know, whatever the hell they do that they're not going to have a ton of flexibility anyway, but that's not generally the way the heat of functions. So I think it would be bad, but the other factor that might make it a lot less bad over time is I, like the last couple of years will probably be a negative value anyway, but the salary cap should be rising by that point. So, you know, 35, 35, 40 million in that, in those terms will not be the same as it is now. So here's how I would handle Jimmy, particularly after just this absolute complete flame out in the first round where he was the under 30% from the field from the series. I mean, that was just miserable, which is surprising because he actually had a pretty good regular season and maybe he was dealing with some kind of an injury, but he kind of always seems to be to some degree. And, you know, the jump shot just hasn't improved. It's probably never going to at this point in time. I think the good thing about Butler's extension is you can take it into the season. You don't have to do it right now in the offseason. And I think I want to see if he comes in healthy. Obviously, much depends on what they do this offseason as well. Like if they're, you know, if it's on Kawhi Leonard uh, and Kawhi might be like, hey, I want Jimmy to be there too. You better extend him. So, you know, you could go into next season and I'll tell you this, I'm I'm not making him that max offer. You know, maybe I would give him, and so this is age 32, then 33, and then you're looking at that 33 would be the player option. So you'd be looking at kind of new years one of them replacing the player option and then you'd be three more years after that through age 36 i mean that's just there's especially the way he played in the playoffs this year there's just no indication that he's going to provide anywhere close to that level of production and you know making over 40 million dollars a year so i think i would go into the season with it you know i might make him an offer of putting another year on the end of this if that's what he wanted you know kind of that bradley beal-esque sort of extension and if he's not willing to take that then you i think you go into the season and see how he's playing and hey maybe if your team is is playing unbelievable and he looks awesome and you're able to make a trade for another star and because because here's kind of the thinking right on whether when you want to do these long deals that are probably going to just way overpay a guy in the out years you do that when you have a contender now or you do it when you think you can trade the guy later that he's going to be positive value on that and so i don't think it's realistic to say that the heat have a contender right now um and i think it's fair to say that they the bubble was a bit of an outlier and so if you go into next season and you're like man we are just one move away and we got to keep jimmy happy then maybe you make him a a longer term offer maybe you go three years instead of the four uh so basically two years of of new money uh maybe you would do that but i think the other thing too is if he doesn't want to sign an extension that you're willing to pay then you could and you're kind of piddling along as a lower rung playoff team again next year then maybe you look to move jimmy before next offseason as well so i i think you just you want to make because you could make do that extension during the season i think you just get more information about what your team you know bam out of bio comes back as like an incredible superstar but locking into a team that had one of the least competitive playoff exits in quite some time this year is not something i would be willing to do at this point in time just um 
And I agree. I don't think he's the type of player that's going to age gracefully. But I, I think we all remember that infamous uh, Minnesota practice. So I don't know <laughs> if, the, if the Heat want to deal with an angry Jimmy Butler. But thank you. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Well, thank you very much for the question, Nick. Let's go to Xavier. Xavier, you're on the line. Hey, guys. I'm here. Can you- not sure if I lost you. No, we got you. You're here. All right. So first, let me, let me apologize in advance for the nature of my question. I know we're in the middle of the playoffs, and you guys don't want to answer all these off-season questions. No, hey, we're no, fine. We're no, fine with this it. Is, we're, we're here to talk about anything. Uh, we talk, we talk. In fact, it's kind of a nice break because we are breaking down the games in like excruciating detail every day. So it's actually nice to talk about something else. All right, cool. So let's, so let's double back on the Mavs for a second. So I guess the question I have is, you know, Tim Hardaway Jr., right? Um, we've seen what his upside could provide for us in games one and two, where if he catches fire, we, you know, we can compete with anybody. But at the same time, he's kind of indicative of what our problem is, which is we just re- really lacking for defense. So what would you guys, if you were a, the Mavs GM, what would your walkaway number be? Because I'm thinking maybe 17 to $18 million a year. And for me, that might be even a little high. But do you guys have like a specific walkaway number um, based on his skill set where we know the league is star for shooting but at the same time i know that the teams really do want more two-way players so what do you guys think about um what numbers he might be looking at in off season i think your your walk away is is pretty reasonable for me but i also think that's lower than other team than other teams could i don't i don't know i'm really hard to calibrate it but I agree with you on the value of defense and I, you know, I I appreciate what he has done. But when you think about the idea that Luka Doncic is an MVP caliber player and ideally at some point in the future, if he's not there now, will be the, you know, the idea is that you have a championship window. And to me, offense first and maybe offense only players who are not the best offensive player on their team are Harder to pay significant money to if you have those kinds of aspirations. Generally, those are the types of contracts that turn sour. And it's different for a team like the Mavericks than it is for, let's say, like the Hawks with John Collins, because I don't think the Hawks have the kind of upside that the Mavericks do, because as much as I love Trey, he's not the same level player as Luca. Yeah, my thought. Uh, How do you feel? Yeah, yeah. So, so my thought uh, on Hardaway is 
you know he definitely has had like a, a really hot some really hot moments obviously games uh, one and two age 29 but you're it's kind of the same thing as we were talking about earlier with Prozingis is like where are you going with Tim Hardaway making 20 million dollars per year and as I kind of scroll through it here you know may, maybe New York could be a threat uh, for him they could really use his his shooting in theory I don't really see any other teams with cap space that are going to want to pay him more uh, that it'll just be able to pay him more than the mid-level uh you know, he actually might be a decent fit in new orleans too but they've got a ton of other stuff going on there you know maybe if lonzo and josh hart were to both leave they might look to go to hardaway to replace it so i mean i'm not sure where the rest of his market is that's going to drive up the cost now there could be some unexpected free agent departures or something uh, that might change that a little bit but you're as you noted there like he doesn't particularly defend like if you're going to play him next to luka Doncic, your other three guys got to be pretty amazing defensively and and we're not yes yes they, they <laughs> are not, not. <laughs> that is that is a, and i guess the reason i ask that is because i think i'm one of the few people who are a mavericks fan who i i don't i don't want the Mavs to resign tim hardaway jr it, and now look if he's a if he wants to leave a ton of money on the table and come to us on the cheap sure but he's not coming he's not coming to us on you know a team friendly deal 10 to 12 million because his market's going to be way above that and i just think that like you said if we lock him in and we lock in this core i mean i think it's pretty evident this is not a championship core and so i think maybe we you know maybe if we assign another free agent maybe we're just reshuffling his chairs but i think maybe we need to look at restructuring how this team is built i think that this you know the heliocentric offense where everything is built around luca yeah it's great but it has a ceiling and that's why i think you know we need another playmaker um to to pair next to luca especially somebody that can create us to dribble and you know hardaway Dorian finney smith cleveland none of those guys can really attack close out so really go four and three whenever luca's doubled so that's why i'm like you know what he is a nice player but we kind of need to see what else is out there to see what this team looks like with another playmaker and that's why i was kind of interested if you guys thought that it was a good fit at any number if that well there's a number where you can have hardaway jr and that it's palatable to theoretically move him to another team and that I was not something I would have advocated for a year ago, but with almost all the best players going off the market, we'll see what happens. I don't think Kawhi is going to go there, but like we'll see with some of that. And so maybe it's, you know, you kind of fall back to each other in that circumstance. And that would be, you know, if Hardaway's Jr.'s market gets to where you want it to be, if it doesn't, then you're probably not going to have him anyway. So it, there is a way you could do it. Like the any number thing makes me a little bit queasy, but I agree with you in terms of the conceptual fit. I think that, you know, you the having capable defenders, having somebody else who can be a secondary creator playmaker, but can also like initiate some actions. I think that would help the Mavericks in an ideal world, but that it could be somebody even in a certain circumstance like Jalen Brunson, where it's somebody who doesn't have to necessarily start in closed games, but can when they're playing well, that might be the end game for to, to put around Luca. Unless you can get, you know, one of those elite, elite players, in which case you're obviously going to go for Well, it. so the, the thing that we haven't really talked about it enough with Hardaway is, you know, John Hollinger has talked about this a lot, the bird rights trap, right? If, if Dallas yes. were capped out, you know, like say the Lakers were last year, the Clippers were trying to bring back Marcus Morris then yeah Tim Hardaway's kind of got him over a barrel right like you, you because you're just letting him go and you can't replace him 
Well, there's a big opportunity cost in this case to re-signing Hardaway because they could have 34 million in cap space if they uh, before they re-sign him basically. And so now you're talking about if he his contract gets out of hand, you still have money to replace him potentially. And you know there are other options out there that I would be very interested in considering, like Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley or Spencer Dinwiddie. Now many of those guys could end up going back, or uh, you know Goran Dragic, or or you can kind of go by committee and bring in a bunch of different guys who might be able to replace him um you know evan fournier is out there or you could go shorter term with danny green because that's what i'm talking about right like hardaway yeah he he can get really hot he'll you know i just don't think that his skill set is like totally irreplaceable and so do you want to make that a third big salary pillar of your team like is tim hardaway jr the number three guy on a championship team i don't believe that really to be the case despite the fact that he has played well and has been a big part of their success this year so uh thanks that's always good to hear talk Mavs with you um hopefully you can uh you got some good talking points to to argue with your friends uh, about (laughs) out of this definitely appreciate you guys as always <laughs> all right let's do it how, how many people we got in the queue Danny? we have a lot or we not have that many uh we we actually have a fair amount but i want to start with this one quickly from joel finan uh how much more of these playoffs does trey have to show uh to to prove that himself as one of the few bona fide offense or the best few bona fide offensive players in the league I mean, as a regular season offensive player, I mean, he's in that mix. You and I both, you know, had him as an all-NBA, an all-NBA level player. And think about how strong the the first and second team guards were this year. But in terms of as a playoff player, he's going to have to show a lot more because the Knicks are maybe the most favorable matchup he could have gotten in the playoffs. And we don't know if they make the second round, they might be getting a more favorable matchup than we expected with, at least in terms of the, in terms of the big man drop coverage type of stuff, if Embiid is hurt. So we're going to need to see a lot more. And I mean, Luca had a really good playoff series last year and we still wanted to see a lot more from him and he has been better than Trey. So it is, you know, he, he, the early signs are better than I expected. And I give Trey full credit for that, but this is a different category. And we'll just I wouldn't say they're better than expected for me. I would say they're, this is what I expected him to do against the, this Knicks defense, but yeah, he's got to do he's it. Been, he's been better than I thought. Yeah, He's got to do it against a real playoff defense with like real versatility defensively that can switch that has mobile big men who can fly around. Uh, and this wasn't part of the question. It was just talking about offense, but obviously a team that's better equipped to take advantage of him defensively, even just just from a standpoint of tiring him out for offense uh, as well. So Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. All right, let's, uh, let's do You want to, let's put like a two minute timer on this one. Let's just uh, as an experiment here, we'll, uh, we'll try to discipline ourselves a little bit. We'll try to discipline ourselves. Uh, Chet, you were on the air. Chet. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey. Um, this is, this is my first time on when, uh, Danny's been on. I was on with Hollinger. I remember. And Nate. Uh, yeah, a couple of times. Uh, but it's good to be on with Danny as well. Uh, I wanted to ask with all these like injuries and all these star players going down, uh, which playoff team is most reliant on that one star? Like basically what is the worst roster in the playoffs besides their best player? Cause I, I was looking at that Mavs roster, not great. And then the Knicks roster without Randall, I mean, yikes. So what do you guys think? Well, so if we're talking the biggest difference between with, star and without star uh the first one that came to mind for me was actually the nuggets 
because I mean, this version of Jamal Murray's already out. Like there, there just wouldn't be really a way for that team to make any sense. Um, but you could also argue, hey, they're you know they're a team that could win one series against not one of the elite opponents. The Nuggets were my first my first inclination though. Um, if we were just that that margin between the two, if we're talking pure, like if you took that player off, who would be the worst team? I think the Knicks are a, a reasonable a reasonable one there. Uh, Nate, what what do you think of? Uh, well, these Celtics and and Jason Tatum certainly comes to mind. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're they're yeah they did. <laughs> I did not think of Jason Tatum because of, you know, Jalen Brown and whatnot. But uh, yeah, definitely. The, I mean, they looked like they had no options. No one could even dribble on that team. And you have Marcus Smart, you know, just chucking up yeah, threes and Kemba's doing, out, doing his whole so, thing. Yeah, I mean, there's... But it, but it's interesting what your question made me think of here as to wrap this up quickly is there just isn't, other than the Nets, at least offensively, and maybe the Bucks they have pretty good depth as well offensively now, but there just really isn't that team that's not that reliable and the stars uh the way you've maybe seen uh in the past here so yeah good question chat uh let's uh let's get on to the next one here danny let's do it next is chris chris you are on the air hello can you hear me the legends nate and danny what's going on hey Hey, uh so here's here's my question i actually have a question about you know current playoff series so uh my first thing is are you guys seeing what i'm seeing with tobias harris uh you know yesterday it goes down Obviously, I feel like the Sixers have more than enough star power to really kind of handle the Wizards. But outside of Ben Simmons' struggles, which are going to be well-documented even past this round of the playoffs, I just, and it was one game, and Tobias Harris has been playing very well this series, but his play this last game really kind of concerned me because we kind of saw a little bit of that when they had when they had Butler I mean he kind of no-showed in Toronto series I just don't I don't like how they utilize Tobias you know they have Ish Smith on him Tobias isn't quick enough to get by Ish Smith my, my feeling is get him in the post give him the ball have him take two hard dribbles and just have him have him score in the post like like a traditional four would or a traditional big man and Tobias couldn't do it Tobias turned the ball over way too many times stupid offensive fouls were you guys seeing the same thing that I was in terms of their utilization of him well so i'm gonna be completely honest with you here i have not watched that game yet uh and i i may not honestly <laughs> like that series that series was totally over and uh i took yesterday off i'm gonna i'm definitely watch uh utah and memphis from yesterday but the like it's such a bs series i'll probably watch game five now if Embiid doesn't play but i was just kind of i was kind of done with, with that series to be honest but I, I mean i can address the thing about tobias in general which is uh especially without Embiid, it's going to be hard for him to play that way because they're going to have simmons and they're going to ha- probably have a center on the floor a lot i know they closed the last game with simmons at, at center that has some defensive issues for them also uh and i think they have actually kind of iso posted him up at the end of games at times throughout the year and that's actually looked better than i expected that it would uh but also you know if you're going against uh you know next round it'll be interesting i mean it's probably going to be deandre hunter guarding him i i would guess you know i'm not sure that's an advantage matchup for him in the post you know he's just he's a score he's he's good but he's not the number one guy uh, on an offense i think everyone recognized that about him i think doc has done a good job of getting stuff out of him in the matchups uh, where it's helped but uh, i i apologize that i can't speak to the end of, of yesterday's game uh specifically hopefully that doesn't reveal me as a fraud because i'm at least telling you that i did not watch that game uh yesterday i watched i watched some of the second half but i i don't i I think that it was largely in line with the kind of things that i've seen from tobias and i think chris's chris's analysis is pretty on is that he's not tobias isn't great at 
pressing certain advantages and he doesn't have the tools in the toolbox to be a real number one option. And so that is a, that is a challenge. I wish he had done more against dish, but as Nate brought up and having not watched it, but it was something that I saw too, is that the limited spacing, something like you, th- you think about, okay, if you were building a team to maximize Tobias Harris as like your lead best offensive player, it wouldn't look very much like the Sixers team that was out there. And so that created some of the problems, but also, you know, he could have done more. I, I agree with that too. Um, but let's, let's keep the lightning round going. Thank you very much to Chris for the question. And let's go to Ran. Ran, you're on the air. Are you there? I'm not. I'm not hearing. If if you uh, if, if you're having an, an issue, just pop back in in the speaker request. And if I see you, I will I will get to you again. And we will move on to Justin. Justin, you are on the air. All right. Hey guys, thanks for doing this. Um, I just wanted to sort of ask you guys about Donovan Mitchell as a playoff player. Um, I think it's sort of starting to look like the Jazz are going to win this series against the Grizzlies, and I've been kind of like watching it pretty closely as well as the uh, Mavs Clippers series. And I'm I'm just like kind of thinking about how Donovan Mitchell might look against the Clippers or Mavs defense. And you know, it's been clear to me like in this Grizzlies series that they don't really have anyone that can reliably guard him at all. And it's just been like pretty special to watch him these last couple years as like you know. He has such a fast crossover, really great handle, diverse finishing package, but, you know, he's not really an efficiency darling and doesn't really make a lot of these tough shots he continues to take. So I was sort of like wondering if he can be as good of a playoff player as like Kawhi or Luka has been early in this series. Like, is is he going to be able to like, when it comes down to it, go shot for shot with either of those guys? I think it's going to happen in individual games. I don't know about over the course of a series. I think he's better set up to succeed against Dallas if that is the matchup for sure uh because he can get to the rim they have this good spacing the clippers are gonna go small switch force him to play one-on-one a little bit more uh you know his part of his problem is that his passing is just not as good like he'll make really good passes but he just uh, is not on the level of someone like luca and he also just doesn't like if he's in a one-on-one matchup he just can't like he can get hot but he can't consistently generate the shots to me where you're just like oh my god we have to double team this guy if he's going one-on-one where Kawhi, if you're there's maybe like one or two guys on the other team that can guard him and in that if that's not the matchup you just have to double team or Kawhi is just gonna put that guy in the goal or get to a 14 footer that he's gonna make 55 percent of the time in the half court and so that's the difference to me with mitchell and you know he might be able to get there but he's just got to make it other than that three-pointer um and you know some of that is playing out of pick and roll as well and shooting it from there as opposed to just making a one-on-one move and shooting a three i mean there are not that many guys in nba history for whom that's like a particularly efficient shot on a regular basis so yeah i mean like either his mid-range game or his ability to blow guys get flow by guys get to the rim and force help uh and set other players up you know one of those things has to improve but he's he's got time he's getting incrementally better every year but he still to me is not at that type of Kawhi luka level and sorry danny i probably used up all of your time there but uh we've talked about him a lot i'm guessing you don't have a ton to add on that one I, I I don't have a ton to add there. Um, just I use the phrase I the term undeniability a lot, and I don't think Donovan Mitchell is that type of guy, at least not yet. And he's also a little bit too comfortable taking quote unquote bad shots. Like you think about the 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 performance that Kawhi, the efficiency of Kawhi's game on Sunday, and you know he Kawhi had twenty nine points on eleven to fifteen from the field. Like Donovan Mitchell doesn't do that very often. He only 
think of one of those games against the Nuggets, it was more of a volume thing. And he was awesome in that series in the first couple yeah. games, at least. Th- that uh, also let's was get not to... a real playoff defense. He was doing that Correct. last year. But the Mavs, right. the Mavs may not be a real playoff defense either. Uh, and, and the Clippers weren't in the uh, in the first game, uh, or first two games, I, I should say. <laughs> so let's go to Kevin. Kevin, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Hey, uh, can you guys hear me? Sorry, sorry, I just missed out. Yeah, it's a, it's uh, we can turn uh, the volume up. You're a little a little soft, but uh, we can hear you, okay? Yeah, yeah, my bad, my bad. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. Midnight here in India, I could not miss you guys. It's a treat to listen to you every time. Thank you. And yep, uh, my question for you is uh, for Cavaliers, like uh, what if uh Cavaliers get a dra- get a draft pick lower than they are expected uh, and uh, what other than Cunningham can you expect uh, what would be a steel deal for Cleveland Cavaliers if they don't get Kate Cunningham uh, in the draft lottery in the well, draft pick? well so Nate and I haven't done our prospect scouting yet so I it's hard to be specific on players but what I would urge Kobe Altman and the Cavs front office to do is take the and they've done this before to their credit take who you think is the best prospect irrespective of their fit with your current talent I don't think the Cavs at this moment in time have the player that I think will be the best player on a very good team. Like, I think that they have guys that I like. I'm intrigued by Garland. I'm intrigued by Jared Allen. And maybe some of the, some of the other guys will have to see how it works out. There's there, you know, they have a lot of lottery tickets, but if they think Jalen green is the guy or Suggs or Kaminga or whoever it is, if they, if they think that player is there or Mobley, if they think even if they're like, Oh, we traded for Jared Allen, but we think Mobley's the best guy on the board. Take him, take him. If that's what, if that's what you're going to do. And I, so I can't speak to who I think are going to be great there and all that, but that general ethos should be there for the Cavs and basically every other team with their level of talent. Uh, anything to add? Dave? No, I, I think that, that makes sense to me. I, yeah. Having not done the draft prep yet, but it, it is, it's gotta be a little frustrating to be a Cavaliers fan and have them be as bad as they've been the last couple of years and it not really be that high in the draft. Like this is the ugly downside to the upside of there being less tanking towards the end of the year, although that was not necessarily the case this year among the top five or six or so. Uh, and seeing teams like Memphis and New Orleans move up and have those teams like not really ever have to go through like a really big trough. Well, you, you have the possibility of being a really awful team for a long time and getting the number five pick every year and just not really being able to kind of turn that corner. Um, is that it for us, Danny? Are we done? Or we have a. Oh, uh, let, let's let's do uh let let's put um let's see Glenn Simonson's on 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 here. Let's let's put Glenn oh, yeah. on for the last. Yeah, we got to finish with Glenn. This will be good. Oh hi. Uh, congratulations on winning the under eighty seven announcer. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, but uh, my real question is, uh, pretend you're commissioner, and what I'd like to do is trade New Orleans and Memphis, the East, for Chicago and Detroit. Would you be in favor? Huh. Nate, this question is for you. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> Orleans and Memphis to, eat to the East. The idea just being that it would kind of just even out some of the big markets. And so that you would. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the problem there is it's just it's there's probably a reason that you don't want to have a big mark. You know, one of the three biggest markets in the league in Chicago and also Detroit. Well, you said Detroit was your other one, right, Glenn? That's right. Well, so Detroit's an Eastern time well, zone. So that's just during the regular season having them have that many games uh, uh on tv that are going to be starting at 10 30 eastern that's just that would really mess up their tv ratings probably and same thing too if they're playing 
in the playoffs against a team on the west coast and they're the late game so i think that's the issue it's like some teams in central time zone have to be in the west but it makes more sense to have those be the smaller markets so that it's just not affecting the league's tv ratings as much so i think that's yeah i'll I'll, I'll quickly throw out another idea which is add expansion teams in seattle and vancouver and then you can move teams to the eastern conference to balance the numbers no great idea uh i'd be in favor of that (laughs) yeah or 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 you could move uh move some teams to uh out of central time zone to the pacific uh as danny was uh, alluding to there as well how about just new how about just new orleans for chicago then let's leave detroit out of it well i mean then you'd still have milwaukee in the east and they're those those are what they're what like an hour apart nate yeah they are but but again you still i mean having grown up in because i I know you're a west coast guy glenn and and believe me i love living on the west coast it's much easier but having you know when the bulls would go to uh the west coast and start at 9 30 i just like as a kid i couldn't watch it like it was just too it started it it started too late maybe i could watch the first half when i was an adolescent but uh my my mom's bedtime was, was always looming for me uh but and then particularly in the playoffs as well to just have it be like those games have to start to have a double header they have to start you know and really know at, at like 8 30 central at the earliest so that that becomes kind of difficult too and, and if it's on the west coast it's going to be 7 30 uh, for a road game so yeah i think i think that's where but you run into all, trouble with all with all the activity about the play-in tournament that they wanted to get zion in the playoffs don't you think the nba would want to have that <laughs> yeah i mean that's that well uh when he leaves new orleans uh, it'll be taken care of don't worry oh, oh boy <laughs> thanks nate <laughs> <laughs> and and th- and thanks to all of you for asking such great questions um we, we really do enjoy doing this on locker room and we will be back next week um at some point nate and i might be doing more of these but the first round is just so hectic we're gonna we're gonna keep it to the once a week for now and when that changes keep an eye on us on twitter and everything else and we'll see you on locker room next week reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.